Good morning and welcome. How's everyone doing today? This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, a sustainability-focused business and travel consultant in Hiroshima, Japan. In this episode, I'm talking with Evergreen Outdoor Center founder, Dave Enright, who's based in Hakuba, Nagano, the beautiful mountainous area in Japan. Right in Hakuba, Nagano. Thank you so much for joining, Dave. Thanks, JJ. It's great to be here. Thanks for the great introduction. It was kind of waiting, waiting for you to go, good morning, Hakuba. <laughs> Is that what you do? That's I a great know. intro. I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, Hakuba is famous for its amazing mountains. And Dave, you have been there for many, many years. And you, I think in the first interview, we were talking about how you grew up in kind of similar mountainous areas of Canada and you feel very at home there. Is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, I I grew up on the west coast of Canada um, on the Howe Sound, so between Whistler, Squamish, and West Vancouver. So, yeah, right at the base of of the mountains, the west coast mountains. Um, Did have the sort of the Pacific Ocean, um, or the Howe Sound anyways, uh, just uh, next to us, and then the mountains in behind. Uh, So it is very similar, especially to Whistler, where there's a, a village community down below, and uh, big mountains up above. But I just find the scenery here to be that much more dramatic. And I think the community itself to be that much more real um, in that sense, meaning that, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's more of a community than a resort still. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, rice growing down below and, and people living their regular lives rather than always just dealing with the resort, which is kind of Whistler. So that's kind of why I moved from Whistler and, and found myself in Hakuba and, and staying here for kind of the last 25 years. Before I continue, I'd love to give a shout out to all the wonderful sponsors of the Seeking Sustainability Live program. Thank you so much to all of you who have promoted the episodes, who have liked, who have commented, and who have donated to the Buy Me A Coffee page, or the Coffee page, or joined as a member on Patreon or YouTube. Your support really means a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, can you tell us a little bit logistically, where is Hakuba in Japan? So Hakuba is really the northwest corner of Nagano, which is a central prefecture in Japan. We're about, I guess, three and a half hours by vehicle from the middle of Tokyo. Um, you can get here in about two and a half hours by Shinkansen and a bus. Uh, or you can get here as well uh, in about four hours with direct train from Shinjuku. Um, yeah, that's that little red dot right in the in the photo that you have there uh, is uh, is Hakuba. Uh, so you can see we're actually very close to the Japan Sea. So there's actually quite a large uh, population of uh, surfers actually in the mountains here in Hakuba that head out to the sea and go surfing. I'm not one of those. Um, I'm more of a, a mountain person or or river person. 
and uh, yeah, so yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful spot, uh, sort of landlocked area, and in the northern part of the Japanese Northern Alps. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> and you've been uh, using this kind of downtime from the business to do some of your amazing adventures in the mountains around you, which has been so amazing. We'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to introduce your business? Because your business is actually many things. Yeah. Uh, you're doing restaurants, cafes, different kinds of outdoor adventures. Can you kind of give us a run through? Yeah. So, I mean, the main business is Evergreen Outdoor Center. Um, and uh, we uh, try to take people into the nature in, ha in Hakuba and in, in Nagano and in, in Japan. Uh, and the reason for that is really to just create great experiences for people, great memories in the outdoors, create a connection between mother nature and themselves to get away from the everyday grind of, uh, everyday, uh, work life and, uh, just have some fun, whether that be with their friends, with their family, uh, with their partner, whatever it might be, uh, or even by themselves and, uh, have a great time under their, I guess, the guidance of professionals uh, here in the area. Um, and then from that, of course, um, as you said, we, we do a lot of other things. We have cafe, um, we have an accommodation, uh, the Cafe Roots Cafe, which is a, a vegan cafe. Um, we started that 12 years ago here. Uh, and unfortunately this year it was closed a lot. We really didn't have the business. We didn't have the business on the ski field. Um, then, I mean, last year was a hard year because there wasn't snow down to the Valley. Uh, and so it was closed for a bit. Uh, you know, it, it's been a, def a difficult two years there. Um, this year because of Corona, the lift next to us, um, just, just right out here, outside my window um there's a lift and a ski field uh called koksai run which means international run uh which is uh aptly uh that i i took up residence right next to international run um but it was closed and then they closed the actual run from the top because patrol didn't want to have issues on sort of uh, steeper areas uh, so we really saw very little traffic in this area. So that was difficult, obviously, for that business. For our ski school business, you know, people came to us here, but it was all um, people living within, residing within Japan, of course. Yeah. And then hey, the other, uh, yeah, shouting, shouting out to Blinky Bill from Melbourne and Jack Boston joining from YouTube. Thanks for joining, guys. It's great to see you here. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so uh, you were talking a little bit about some of the businesses you had a slowdown. But before we started, you said, actually, uh, for some of the winter sports and stuff, you didn't really see that many decrease in numbers. Is that right? Uh, when was that? Last year? Last year or this year? Or did you during oh, coronavirus? Last year, last year, we had a very, uh, we had an increased start to the season, but we wow. had a definite decrease you know, in, at the end of the season. So from mid, mid February, we started to see people canceling, um, seeing especially Asian, uh, clientele from Taiwan, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, uh, starting to cancel first. Um, then we started to see, uh, just, 
um, no increase in bookings that we might usually see uh, in the springtime um, for spring holidays, those types of things. Um, and then this year, wow, what a dramatic change. Uh, we're down 90% from last year um, of our business. So, you know, that was really hard. Uh, our team uh, last winter went from 260 to 47 members this year, uh, which was still uh, hard to provide work for all of them. Um, we were lucky that we were able to to give some assistance through government assistance to 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 all of our staff um, uh, in times where we really had no no work. Um, you know, I think that was one one thing that that Japan has shown has been good. But I think it's time to get off of that track and get back into to regular work and and really try to uh, to you know, get people back on on the job and on the job site doing things is is obviously much much more, uh, I think, fruitful for the companies and and for people's spiritual side as well that they're actually wow. doing something um, in their lives. That's a huge shift from over two hundred to forty staff, and of course, you need highly trained staff who understand what they're doing. It's not like somebody could, who loves skiing or snowboarding could just become a teacher right away, right? Well, I mean, amazingly enough, you, you can go through sort of a, a week course and become a ski instructor. My son did this year and, and uh, at, at 16, uh, sorry, at 15, he was old enough to take his uh, Canadian Ski Instructors uh, Alliance Certification Level 1, and he did. And uh, yeah, he worked for about a week through uh, through the holidays. His first uh, first job, um, so he was pretty stoked about that. And uh, but he found it very hard. Uh, it's long days. It's it's uh, it's definitely work. It's not just play. I know a lot of people think, oh, it's just having a good time and going out skiing. And what a great what a great life. But it's work. You know, it's uh, it's definitely definitely work uh, for sure. Yeah, I know you take um, avalanche safety very very seriously and you're one of the only places if not the one of are you the only place that does avalanche training in japan no definitely not the only place uh, we want we're one of the first places or the first place to do recreational avalanche training um we're definitely the first place to do english avalanche training uh, i know i can i can say that um, but there's a lot of different uh, organizations, a lot of different people doing avalanche training. Uh, there are about four areas, four or five areas that are maybe giving the same types of courses that are the Canadian avalanche based courses uh, within Japan. Whether they were providing them this year or not, I'm not too sure. I think there was a few that were not. Um, sometimes they have instructors coming from overseas to provide those those uh, courses, and this year, of course, no one was coming from overseas. So we continued to give them this year, and and yes, we did see a lot of locals that now had a lot more time uh, than they might usually do in the winter time to come out and, and take those courses. So that was good. That was really good. How long do the courses last? How long does it take for someone to become certified? So. Um, with the Canadian system, there's a two-day basic course um, that is your um, avalanche safety training level one course. Uh, and I've always found that to be too short. So I, I couple that with the companion rescue skills, which is a full day 
of just rescue, um, companion rescue, which means um, when you're out there with a group of four people and, and maybe someone gets buried in an avalanche, that the rest, the three of you know how to do a, a proficient rescue. Um, so we add that onto that to make a three-day program. Uh, and that's the only, that's, that's our basic program. So that's the first program that we provide is the three-day program. Um, so it ends up looking like it's a little bit pricier than, than other people's programs, but it's actually two certifications in one three-day course. It also makes it a little bit more difficult because it's not just over a weekend, um, which can, you know, sometimes make it hard for people because they have to take a Friday or a Monday off or something like that. Yeah. You, uh, and um, then, you and have then a five-day course yeah. as well. Sorry. So there's a five-day course, which is more of an advanced course. So it builds mm -hmm. on those three days, uh, goes further into snow science, into more forecasting, into better trip, um, better trip uh, planning, and uh, and also um, also we do uh, more rescue and higher skilled rescue scenarios as well. That's so important. Uh, you were talking in about. The photo, you can see you can see Bill. Unfortunately, Bill wasn't able to make it over here this year. Uh, old man Bill Glued. Uh, shouts out to to Bill. Um, he is uh, an amazing uh, avalanche professional. Uh, he's in Alaska now, which is his home uh, for usually just the summers. And uh, but this winter, unfortunately, uh, he was not able to to be over here with us. Uh, what, what is he doing in that photo? Yeah, it's he 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 loves to get all touchy feely and and sing songs in class and that sort of stuff. That was one thing we were missing this year was the were the songs, uh, and also what he has here is a bit of a a tilt board. So he takes different materials to show um, sort of the the different uh, types of con uh densities of, of snow so he'll take sort of like mashed potato flakes and he'll take sugar and he'll take uh some cornmeal and he'll say okay this is this type of flake and this is this type of flake and when they're sitting on top of each other on this type of terrain uh on this angle uh what are we going to see and, and so basically he's just showing in the classroom what we might see out in the field uh on a certain degree of, of slope so uh, it's uh, it's always interesting and and, and uh, it uh, it allows the the students to get around and actually get a hands on and get a good idea in their brain about okay what angles are we looking at um, that are safer or or less safe when we're out there. Is it this time of year, kind of as things get warmer, that you have to worry more about avalanches? No, um, you know the the most amount of avalanches happen as the snow falls. So during or just after a snowfall. So, um, you know, during the winter time, it's probably where you have the most avalanches really early season. We see quite a few drastic avalanches because things don't really bond all that well early season. Uh, we have quite dramatic storms coming up and it's a change of season. Uh, and then midwinter, January, February, we start seeing some large, uh, storm snow cycles, uh, storm snow avalanche uh, issues. And we have everything from what's called a loose uh, snow avalanche to a slab avalanche. But what we do see in the spring and maybe around this time in the mountains is we see big, uh, like compact wet snow avalanches to ground. And uh, those are quite scary because you don't really know when they're gonna go. 
Uh, obviously, if it's raining or if it's a warmer day, it's going to melt the snow faster. It's going to loosen things up and then things may or may not release. It's kind of a, a, a little bit of a crapshoot on that, on that uh, side of things. Now, I know uh, for your company philosophy, uh, you have environmentalism as one of the core principles for the business. Mm -hmm. And you also posted uh, this photo about avalanches and people who lost their lives. And that's why you started the avalanche certification 21 years ago. Are you noticing climate change affecting avalanches or affecting the weather since you've been there at all? Definitely changing the weather definitely has climate change uh, is, you know, it's very hard for us to say, okay, in the last decade, we've really seen a huge change because a decade in the whole scale of things is so small. But I think that what we, what we see is, is a definite climb uh, in warmer seasons, shorter seasons, uh, erratic uh, temperature spikes, um, erratic weather patterns. Um, we see things when I first came 25 years ago to now, 25 years ago, I, I, after about five years of living here, I had a pretty good image of how the patterns worked and when we were going to see our first snow to the valley. And you could almost predict that two months out, um, to the week, to the day, um, that isn't the way now. Uh, I think probably about five six years ago i just fully gave up on the on the idea of trying to forecast a season um based on some of the preseason, uh, you know uh, anecdotes um and farmer's almanac kind of style uh sort of things that uh or wives tales that that the locals had on things and also the patterns that i was seeing from before they just weren't lining up the same way um, what we saw as a regular season last, uh, you know, say maybe last decade, this decade, we're looking at more, uh, yeah, just, or less snow and, and shorter seasons. And, uh, you know, this year everyone was like, oh, it's the best season ever sort of thing. And it, it really, it really wasn't, it was amazing early season and we had some amazing snow and, and probably the most amazing thing for the locals here trying to forget about the fact that there was no work was that there was a lot of powder to play and and no one there really to to uh to share it with them so people had a lot of room and a lot of space to do things so the photo you see there is kind of fresh tracks on a very easily accessible um face in in the backcountry up above Sagayake, uh where i sort of leading a, a group of people and and uh in the far background you can't really see probably with the untrained naked eye, but there is a large avalanche off the, the, the back um, area there. And uh, wow. um, yeah, sort of where the, the wind is blowing the snow off the peaks and you can see the debris down into the valley. And I, I sort of put this post up because it was 21 years to the day uh, of uh, four, three Kiwis um, dying off the back of Hapo that I was involved with um, in the rescue. And well, to say a rescue, we, we tried to rescue, um, but they unfortunately weren't wearing the proper gear and, and um, they were just in the wrong place at, let's say, the right time. 
and without the proper gear. And unfortunately, the whole face released on them and, and they were buried five meters deep in, in snow. So there was no way that, that we were going to find them uh, and or dig them out. Um, and even though, you know, ourselves, volunteers and the police, you know, tried for sort of three days to get in there and the weather got bad. And then, of course, there's hazard of people in the area searching, um, getting buried by another avalanche. So the, the, uh, the search was called off. Uh, you know, the parents came in from New Zealand. Um, I had a meeting with them and I and they were all excited about getting the search going again. And I, I really had to to talk to them and just say that that there was no hope there was you know it's been five days since the accident and these boys have been buried in snow and you have to right now just realize that you your boys are gone and that the only chance we have to get them out now is in the springtime and that as things start melting uh, we'll go back into the mountains and and we'll keep our eyes out for them and the police did a very good job of every few days coming and flying their helicopter over top of the area to see if they could see anything poking out. And the rest of us also, when we uh, skied down in that area, um, you know, had to look around to see if we could see any color coming out. And the boys were in the areas that I, I thought they were in, but they were so deep and, and uh, they wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been able to dig down to them without a proper excavator, really. That's horrible. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a real tragic. Um, so had they had training, you said they didn't have the proper gear. Is it possible to survive an avalanche if you have the proper gear and training? Well, uh, surviving an avalanche is, is, is luck. If you're actually caught in the avalanche, maybe if you have the skills to right away, outrun it, get away, yeah, of course that can happen. Um, if you do know what's happening and maybe you're swimming or you have an airbag and you can pull that, that can assist you to float to the top of the avalanche. But the whole thing about training is not to get caught in the avalanches. So how do you understand the terrain that you're in? How can you understand the weather patterns that have been happening, the way the snow has been falling, the way the weather is today? Is it affecting the stability of the snowpack and then the snowpack itself and what types of of uh, layers do we have uh, in the snowpack and how are they bonding with one another um, so there's a whole bunch of different things that you have to think about it's it's uh, there's a lot of things um, you know some people you know, especially australians i think when they come over they they try to um, make analogies between surfing and reefs and waves um, and uh, and the avalanches. And I don't know much about, about the surf and there's a lot of dangers there, of course, you know, under uh, underwater caves and caverns that you can get pushed into or tumbled into, uh, those types of things. Um, but you can pretty much look at the surf and go, that's over my ability. I'm not gonna go in there today I know there's a shoal, I know there's a reef, um, you know, I know there's an undercurrent over here. Or if you don't have the experience and you don't know there's an undercurrent or you don't know there's a reef there or you don't know the area, then yes, you can get yourself in trouble. The thing with avalanche is it looks beautiful on the top. It's just this beautiful powder snow. You know, you got a blue skies kind of like where the guys are doing the test pit right there, you know, blue skies out there, you got snow 
on the ground and you're thinking, okay, I can ride anywhere. I've, I'm good enough to ride that slope. It's not that steep. I can ride that. But it's not your riding skill. It's not your ability in actual riding. It's your ability in backcountry travel. It's your ability to read the terrain, read the snowpack, read the weather, read your companions. Um, and then if and when something does go wrong, do you have the skills, the skill set? Uh, do your companions have the skills and the skill set? Uh, have you made the right communications, the right choices together? Uh, if something goes wrong, that you can do a proper and efficient rescue because you've only got five minutes, really, you know, um, to you know be ninety percent sure that you're going to dig out your buddy. Um, you really can't go over ten minutes. Um, now there was a miracle uh, rescue last year, uh, someone that I know, and that was a three-hour burial. Um, absolutely amazing that he was dug out and he was just going into unconsciousness, but he had enough of an airspace in that area that he was able to breathe and he was able to relax himself, not panic, slow down his heart, slow down his breathing, uh, and pretty much get into a Zen meditative state that allowed him uh, to to survive. And he was lucky that he was dug out. He his beacon, he had a transceiver on his body, but he hadn't turned it on. Oh wow! So but they were still able to track it, or no, no. Yeah. So they they probed him. Uh, you can see one long straight stick in that photo, which is called a, a probe, um, which is about a two and a half meter to three meter long aluminum probe that uh, you can stick down through the snow it will it will slice its way through the snow and if it hits something it will stop uh, so if it's a body uh, or a board um, you'll you'll feel the the difference and and hopefully that will allow you to then dig down to that person so you know, uh, molly was... molly has a question here she says do they broadcast avalanche warnings so every day in various areas for hakuba for Miyoko, for Yuzawa area and Tanigawa, I believe, uh, in the wintertime and also in Niseko, there are bulletins, which are daily bulletins and not forecasts. So basically it's a now cast of what uh, the danger is at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and that can change a lot throughout the day. It can get worse or it can get better. And you really need to know how things are trending. Um, but that's put out by JAN, uh, Japan Avalanche Network. Um, so you can search them out on, on the internet. They also put out a springtime, um, uh, a springtime or a early winter time uh, bulletin for the Tatayama area as well, uh, which is only open in the spring or in November. Uh, and, and you can get some good information on there. Um, just put your browser to instant Google Translate um, and uh, you should be able to see it uh, in you know somewhat understandable uh, English for that. Um, but to read those things, unless you've taken a sort of a, an avalanche course like myself or the courses that Jan uh, put out themselves, it's very difficult to understand some of that information sometimes. So you, you really have to have a bit of training to learn how to read those. And then when you've got that information, then how does that transmit into how you, what your actions are for that day? Um, 
And so we talk a lot about in the in the courses about you know human factors, which is it's a huge thing I think recently is is how we think as humans and and how we make decisions and are our decisions or our feelings do we communicate those or do we communicate them well enough um, or do we give off the wrong signals to our partners our companions um, you know are we under pressure uh, from peer review that I'm not good enough I'm not strong enough not cool enough um, those types of things uh, are we just in a bad mental state from the day because we had a fight with uh, a relative or a friend or whatever it is um, are we hungry or hangry you know and wanting to get back fast um, are we yeah just not reading the signs and missing things that should be very obvious to us those types of things are all um, all human factors and then we we have a lot of our own personal biases as well that we throw in there so it's it's really a very um you know it's 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 a very complex thing and people think it's just about snow and it's just about uh weather but it's a lot about ourselves and how we treat and respect uh nature uh, and that really comes down to again our sustainability talks and you know how do we how do we see ourselves in in this world in nature uh and are we are we taking uh the obvious you know signs and are we observing those and are we doing anything to change or do we just keep walking into uh more and more pollution more and more uh devastation of forestry uh forest areas uh our uh, you know our schools of fish uh, whatever it is you know are, are we ourselves observing these signs and then making the changes or the right movements to to then protect ourselves because that's what it is it's protecting ourselves to protect our world or our, our environment around us that's protecting our our offspring as well so these are things i guess that can be translated into really anything we do in life um but uh and I think that's one thing that we try to do here at evergreen and with our also our, our camps our summer camps and our our, our school group camps is we try to get youth into nature to observe for themselves really uh, what um, what is there for them you know and what can they learn from the environment and what can they uh, do to to respect or protect uh, these amazing spaces because without these amazing wild spaces we as a species ourselves won't be allowed won't be able to sustain ourselves um, and what a boring planet it will be if you know we all have to wear gas masks like it's mars and you know we we'll have people you know now all excited about traveling to mars and and exploring you know terrestrial uh, or or outer terrestrial areas and i and i just think wow there's so much to explore here on earth there's so many things we don't know about our own planet and our own bodies and whether it be metaphysical physical um you know and there's so much that needs to be done to to protect uh this beautiful home that we have right now so much energy needs to be expended to protect these things right in front of us and some people argue the fact that 
Well, you know, by going to the moon, by going to Mars, we're learning so much, uh, you know, things are, are changing so much faster. And because of these things, because of, of this, this huge, you know, investment by, by governments and, and private investors into these endeavors, uh, we're able to, to find out things that we may uh, never have had the chan chance to find. Or on Mars, we may find the cure for cancer or something. <laughs> I think these are really long shots, um, and I yeah. think that there's so much more that we need to be doing here and focusing on here, um, just in our daily lives. This idea of burning massive rocket fuel to to get yeah. to extra, you know extraterrestrial planets to then it's going to save our our own home planet. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think so. so. I had a great, great talk in the series with Elizabeth Tasker, Dr. Elizabeth Tasker, mm -hmm. who's an astrophysicist. And she she studies uh, planets that might be habit habit habitable. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, yeah, there there aren't any like Earth. Earth is very special for so many different reasons. So the idea of our solar of, system, anyways, right? <laughs> oh, we've messed this one up. We better go somewhere else. Just it's not a very good argument, and we should really appreciate what we have. So it's a very good argument for sustainability, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I know that was a that was kind of a long-winded rant there. Maybe um, <laughs> going going from going from avalanches to to kids camps to to uh, Mars, but. Um, um, I, what I what I see, I think what I was trying to say is what I see in the youth is just the amazing wonder and their eyes opening up when they look under a leaf or they turn over a rock or, you know, they they run up a hill or they they jump in a river or or they look at the stars or whatever it is. And they just see themselves there in that spot, in that location with this amazing wilderness around them and the fact that they're connected to this and that they they learn so much and they come back with amazing questions of which of course we don't have all the answers but then they they say oh well, why don't we do this and why can't we do this and wh why are we not using this because I, I sit down with some of the the junior high school and high school students and we talk about sustainability and and human impact on things and and we we do some poster projects uh, as well after we've you know done our hiking trips and and they've uh, navigated themselves for two days through the mountains and they come back and they've got a fresh look on a bunch of things and and we sort of talk about the uh, the sustainable development goals and and of of what do they you know feel is a, is something that they can be involved in and change and and a lot of them because of the environment they're in at the at that moment talk about life above earth and and or life below the water and and or uh, climate change and those things but i would say that probably 80 percent of the the girls in the course talk about equal rights um i would say that uh you know there's others that talk about infrastructure and and uh and and talk about how how science is going to change things and then there's groups talking about world hunger and and poverty um and the, and these are topics that now are are everyday common place for these youths to talk about and it's a great place for them to bring that out and then amongst peers have a chance to talk about it and and talk about what our impact is even though it may be small we're going into the mountains uh, how are we going to minimize our impact 
on our travels and and what sort of things are we going to do to do that and it it, it really comes out with some great dis discussions and I'm, I'm like you know sometimes quite amazed at, at some of the you know the you know the the actual discussions that we get out of out of the uh the youth as well now it's a great thing and there aren't enough outdoor education experiences i think especially for kids in japan i grew up going every summer going away to do some outdoor experience summer camp and <clears throat> is a great way to reconnect to nature and also accept yourself and your own abilities and learn about survival and learn about how to cook outdoors and you just build so much confidence that way i think it's great that you're doing these summer camps it's awesome yeah thanks i see some pictures that you've got up on the on the board yeah i want to talk about this because you you said after 25 years you have wanted to do this big challenge and you did this huge amazing challenge recently can you tell us about it yeah um it wasn't the first time up those mountains i've been up those two mountains quite a few times um, in the summer and the winter and the spring and the fall um it's uh, hakuba yari uh, on the uh, left hand side lookers lookers left and and hakuba, hakuba shakushi on the right hand side uh, of those two mountains there and they're both just over 2900 meters um and I guess uh, I just saw there was a weather window the next day, and um, I asked my lovely wife Mariko if uh, it was okay for me to go up in the mountains for the day, and it was. And so I got up at four o'clock in the morning, left the house at five, and went on a um, twelve-hour uh, sort of adventure um, and ski toured um, basically up the you can see the far ridge of shakushi so the far right hand corner coming from the green map sort of across onto the uh the mountain there i, I basically climbed all the way up that ridge wow. um up to the peak there and and when you're at the peak and you're looking down um and you can uh see down to the north side there's a chute um on the back side that you can't see in this photo which is actually in the bottom middle photo um beside between the skis and the other one, um, that is the, it's a long straight shoot that goes down to the Hakuba Daiseke, which is the great snowy gorge. Is that and the same as this one? That no, that's it. That's a oh, different one actually. Okay. Yeah, that's in, that's in Kamikochi, that's Hotaka. Oh, okay, um, that's another adventure. <laughs> um, and uh, it was all ice, um, but I'd never skied it and it was right there in front of me. And I thought, well, I'm still, earlier than the time I'd expected to be at the peak here. So I still have time to go back down and then climb back up. So you can sort of see the green route where it does this weird dog leg up at the peak of Shakushi there and, and then goes down. So I, I went down, but I, I actually, I attached my ice pick to my, to my ski pool. Uh, when I was in high school, I used to have these ski pools that actually had picks on the ski pool. So if you slipped on the ice, you could jam your ski poles into the uh, into the into the ice and stop yourself, and those saved my life a couple of times too. So, wow! Um, but that's that's yeah, that's another story. But um, and, and then so you I ended got, up onto there and went down and and then yeah. ski back up, and I was feeling pretty good. Um, definitely getting tired by this point, but um, I still had to, um, you know, get to my what was my original. Uh, sort of set destination, which was the top of Yadi, which is a sort of pyramid peak, and ski the front 
face and then sort of the first um, banana shoot that you can sort of see there's a couple of uh, sort of curved snow shoots there and I I'd always wanted to ski the banana shoot is what I called it when I first came to Hakuba and I first saw that I was like oh what an amazing line I have to ski that and it's taken me 25 years so when I tell people in in the avalanche courses that you know the mountains will always be there those lines will always be there but if you rush it you may not so sometimes a good thing takes a while to get to um and and yeah so uh climbed up to the the top and and um you know had a snack and uh changed up my shirt because it was a little bit sweaty from uh, from the climb and uh and i was getting a bit cold skied down and then i was lucky enough to stop by the uh yadi onsen yeah, I've got some pictures here. That looks amazing. <laughs> oh, that's a different onsen, but yeah. Oh, that's a different onsen? It looks so amazing. Do you yeah. have doors and everything? It's, it's outdoors. It's like that. You know, beautiful, beautiful water. And, uh, but uh, looking out over the Hakuba Valley and, and uh, but it, it was, it's too hot to just get into. So you have to shovel snow into it um, before you can actually get in. And, and is it is it something like that it's kind of like a business or it's just out there and you find it and you go in on your own? Is it free? Um, well, at, the, at, at this point of time, like in the spring, um, it's just, yeah, it's just the uh, the pool is there. Wow. Um, but in the summertime, it's actually a, it's actually a hut that they erect. They they erect it every year and then they take it down um, every every year because it would be taken out by avalanches or, or snowfall um, because it snows, you know, about nine, you know, 10, nine, 10 meters of snow um, or actually not doesn't snow that much. It snows more than that, but that's how much actually settles on the ground. So um, yeah, the, the place collapsed under the weight of snow, but, uh, and then, and then skied out, I guess from there. So skied down and skied awesome. back up and over top of the, the ridge uh, again and and out uh, to the road below and and uh, that was yeah it was uh, it was a good day adventure and and a good thing to push through and and um, yeah I felt felt good uh, it was definitely a couple of a couple of times where you know got a little bit shaky need up on on steep ice by myself um, you know I always tell people they shouldn't go in the mountains by themselves but I guess sometimes. <laughs> um, you, you did. Uh, is it is it okay if you've had as much experience in training as you had, or it's still not a good idea? <laughs> uh, it's obviously riskier. I mean, yeah. you know, but um, sometimes, yeah. sometimes in a lot of these places, um, you know, if you fall in these places, there's not much your partner can do. Um, right. You know other than hopefully go down and you're not that bad and, and help, help you and <laughs> provide first aid possibly. Yeah. Um, of course, if you're roping up and, and using ropes and short, short roping and those types of things, that's, that's always, that's always good too. Um, to uh, Blinky Bill says, got the good sense to stay away from the possible eruptions. That one that cost, caught the hikers was horrible. I haven't heard of that. Did that happen um, in Japan? That was on Ontake. That was 10, 10 years ago, I think now. Okay. Um, and that was uh, Mount Ontake, which is a very um, spiritual mountain for the people in Gifu and uh, Kiso, Nagano. Um, and yeah, it, it actually blew up. Uh, well, you know, it's quite a 
uh, popular mountain to hike. And that was in the summertime. And there were, I don't know how many people, it was over a dozen people, I think, were lost, um, buried in, in ash or, or hit by boulders, that type of thing. So, but I mean, th those types of things, uh, like avalanches, like tsunamis, um, they are somewhat unpredictable natural disasters. Um, unlike climate change is a predictable natural disaster. Um, and it's something that we are having a hand in. Avalanches can be somewhat predicted if you have the have the uh, you know the the knowledge and the background to, to find those things and uh, and uh, yeah so th those are uh, you know getting hit by a bus truck walking across the the road I mean I watched a, a you know one of those guys with the, the old the old age sticker on the back go straight through a red light the other day you know so. Um, anything can happen so you you got to be aware you got to have what we're talking about you got to be observing the signs you got to be you know whether you're in nature or in the city um on the sea in the mountains whatever it might be so i think it's just yeah, yeah keeping your your blinders wide yeah uh yeah and appreciate every moment you have in good exactly for sure. and, and this um, has been able to to do that i've been able to appreciate things and you've got a picture there of uh, myself and, and, and two of my guides, uh, Johnny and Kinga, and we went to uh, Kamikochi, um, and that's a photo from uh, Kapabashi. For anyone that's been to Kamikochi, it's an absolutely oh, beautiful, beautiful uh, natural park. Uh, it was one of the earlier um, actual Kokuritz Koen or natu natural parks that was set aside by the Japanese government um, back uh, in the Edo period, um, and. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it, it's absolutely beautiful, and the and the river that go that runs through there is so so clean and and so pristine. And from there, you just start walking up into the mountains, and uh, we had quite an adventure. And we uh, we uh, hiked uh, for about you know two three hours before we got to snow, and then we were able to put our skis and skins on and and skin up the mountain until we got to too steep where we had to start boot packing and. Because it was warm that day, uh, the snow got very soft, and and so hiking up um, in snow that was coming up to our our knees and boot packing and setting a setting a boot pack up the mountain, uh, and then we got up the top, and then it was a rock climb with our skis and twenty five plus kilogram packs on our backs in wow. ski boots. Um, so uh, it was a it was a pretty. Uh, strenuous and challenging climb up uh up hotaka uh my hotaka and our timing we actually had to do some rappels on on ropes to get off the back uh of the rock that we were going up because it was just getting too steep for us to be on there with our packs and not roping up to climb and the time that was going to take us to climb up and over was going to be too long so decided to rappel down on the rope and get back into snow and hike up and then we decided just to set up camp there in a nice little uh, 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 coal or a little saddle at the top of this uh, couloir, uh, set up our tent. We had a beautiful view to the south uh, of Fuji and uh, to our west of the sunset over uh, Oku Hotaka. And uh, the next morning we got up, packed up camp and uh, hiked to the, the peak. And then this is, um, I guess, Kinga skiing down or, or side slipping in here with her pick in one hand and her uh, ski pole and the other um, on 
45 plus degree slope um, with some some cliffs below and uh, so it was uh, with a huge you know 20 kg plus pack on on uh, our backs uh, down the slope um, quite adventurous and and so that was us in the bottom at our campsite pretty happy um, to be in the sun and and uh, having having tea um, and uh, making making some lunch so um, yeah, it was a great, great experience. Um, you know, the weather, we knew the weather wasn't going to be great the whole time. And, and, uh, we ended up, uh, heading out the next day and, and, uh, we had some rains come in and, and, uh, but it, it was a really great adventure, the whole, the whole thing. And, um, yeah, it's been, been great to have good companions to head out into the mountains this, uh, this spring. So shouts out to all of them. Yeah, I couldn't believe when I saw that climbing photo on the rocks with your ski boots on. I yeah. can't imagine how hard that would have been with a big pack. Yeah, yeah, that that actually looks like a quite easy spot. Um, it looks like I've almost <laughs> got like a nice staircase going up there. But there was oh. some actual, you know, grab, you know, some five class five uh, class five climbing there as well, using hands and getting oh in there and, and pulling up and and that sort of thing and even taking packs off a little bit and moving up a little bit and putting them back on so um yeah it was definitely uh definitely interesting yeah and that was yeah. this month was it yeah that was crazy maybe a week or so ago yeah yeah so i now you you still have some snow in the mountains um, things are starting to thaw out. You said you're preparing for the summer camps and summer outdoor adventures. Can you tell us about what what's happening in summer? What can people expect if they come to your area? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we're basically starting our staff training uh, on the 31st of this month, uh, starting with mountain biking. And then we have, uh, we go through a whole list, a gamut of things, whether it be canoeing, kayaking, SUP, uh, rafting, uh, we start uh, doing some rock climbing, tree climbing, canyoning. Uh, we've got a big uh, six-day uh, wilderness first responder first aid course um, that we're we're doing, which is a very high advanced level first aid, which, which all of our guides uh, have the wilderness advanced first aid uh, certification, uh, which for us is is imperative for the guides to have those things. Um, and then uh, some counselor uh, training as well, as far as, uh, you know, child safety protection, um, you know, talking with children, um, you know, all sorts of different things. Uh, of course, the corona uh, things that we're going to have to be doing as well. Um, and, uh, and then having a couple of staff barbecues and, and enjoying just getting ready for um, starting up our camps, which start on the 27th of June. Wow. We, we run, uh, I think it's four 10-day sessions and two five-day sessions uh, through the summer. Uh, we have about 200, uh, 200 youth already signed up for these, these camps, and um, we kind of max out at about um, 400 um, for the whole summer. Um, and at every camp, we have about 60 campers. Um, and so, um, that way, you know, and we break it down into three age groups. So it's, uh, from seven, from, I guess, actually we've got sort of four camps running simultaneously over, 
over 10 days. Wow. Uh, and those are bro broken down by age as well as residential and day camp. So we have six to sort of 12 year olds for day camp. Uh, and it's mostly the younger kids for the day camping. We usually see about six to 10 years old, maybe for the day camping. Um, and then we have seven to about 10 for the five day camps, which is the water wizards and the mountain masters. And then we have uh, from not from nine to 12 years old for the earth explorers, which is a 10 day camp. And then we have from 14 to 17 for the Japan Alps leadership program. Um, uh, so it's Japan Alps um, for to shorten. Um, and that's what I was talking a little bit before. We have some sustainability talks and, uh, you know, uh, those types of things. And, and the children and the youth, they get to do all sorts of these uh, amazing adventures, uh, activities, maybe not at the same level as, as the guides do in their, in their pastime, but uh, definitely to, a, 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 I guess, a level that, they have a lot of fun. It challenges them. It allows them to be maybe a little bit out of their comfort level or to help others that are out of their comfort level um, and to really feel this, this communication, this connection, this teamwork. Uh, we have a lot of things that are, are teamwork based. We're having to change up a, a few things. Last year, we did a lot of changes. Uh, we're not doing any camping with the younger uh, children, unfortunately. So it's, it's all, um, accommodation, uh, hotel accommodation. Uh, it's four person rooms. Uh, they stay in their own rooms. They eat with the same four people. Uh, they have masks on in the, in the, in the hotel, uh, in the car when we're, when we're doing things in close encounters. Uh, and then when we're outside, the masks are off and we're having fun in the outdoors. Uh, so so hard because you've it looks like you've got cafe and lodging is it as well as running all the different programs um outdoor we've, adventures it's it's really true we've, we've changed things up you know you? Uh, everyone's had to change things up in the last year a lot yeah. um and so we haven't been running the cafe for regular business we've really been concentrating on the on the the youth camps uh, the hotel is closed down uh, for just the youth camps to use. Um, so basically they have their own hotel. So there's no one else in the hotel, uh, which is great, you know. Um, and um, so, you know, we've sort of com compacted and, and, and really just focusing on what is the core, what is the most important thing. And, and right now I really believe the most important thing is to try and get youth out of the cities away from their screens, um, in the fresh air, uh, running, shouting, um, not being told to, to, you know, don't do that. Don't do this. Hey, you're, you know, you're making too much noise. And, and, uh, you know, I, I had, I had a fellow on the trail last year, uh, he was coming down the mountain and, and we were going up and this is the older kids. And I let them space out and take their own time. We have a, a person in the, you know, a, a lead guide in the front and, and they're, they're out there with their maps and they've planned their own trip. And so they're really in charge of themselves. They have to stay in their groups, um, but they move out in front and yeah, of course they're talking, of course they're having a great time. And they went by this guy and he, he, you know, as he passed me was, he just shushed me and they're being too loud and Corona. And I was like, we're in the mountains, you know, um, 
if it was Tokyo on the subway, okay, I understand, right? But we're in the mountains. Like I want them to go out there and and scare off the bears. I don't, you know, <laughs> if they're shouting and screaming, I know there's no bears around because they're not going to be from a hundred miles away, <laughs> right? And and that's great. And you know, and, and I I sort of said, okay, well, yeah, you've got a point, but you know, not really. And then when I came back down, this guy had strategically parked his cave van, you know, like the old guy that parks his cave van and then cooks just outside his cave van and stuff like that. And it's cooking, cooking outside his cave van just at the exit of the trail. So that's where the most amount of people are going in and out of the, the trail entrance and exit. And I'm like, if you're that concerned, why wouldn't you park on the other side of the parking lot away <laughs> from everyone? So he really didn't have, you know, um, it's so much easier to see what other people are doing wrong than to see what you're doing wrong yourself. <laughs> Isn't that typical of the human condition? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, these camps are great. It, it really, I think, allows um, the youth to get out. And, and as as I was saying, it's 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 uh, it's we need to get the youth out you know they're not even going to school they're not having no social communication um together they're wearing masks they're not allowed to see each other's faces and, and so they're, they're, yeah they're not even i mean in japan a lot of schools have been back i know abroad a lot of kids are just having the weirdest two years studying from home and having no social interaction at all so are you kind of thinking next year might be kind of back to normal and you'll have more people coming from abroad we don't really know yet right well this next winter i don't think so i think we're going to see a very similar winter this year um, already looking at the forecasts um, looking at the the vaccination rollout in this in this country and and uh, uh, i don't think that we're going to be open our borders in japan are going to be open as they were two years ago um, for this next Christmas, New Year's. And we may not see things open up until this time next year. Um, so this year I'm, I'm thinking that the winter is going to be, again, very, very similar. Um, so people that are in Japan, again, you've got another amazing uh, chance to get up to the mountains and enjoy uh, some amazing powder snow in the mountains. Without, without any crowds or long lines at the lifts, right? Especially if you have the chance to get here midweek. I mean, you will have the whole resort to yourself. Absolutely, hands down. Um, you know, it's your powder line and your buddy's powder line and then your powder line and your buddy's powder line right next to each other again and again and again. So um, very, uh, you know, it was kind of like going back 20 years in time for me uh, this year uh, with the amount of things. Or, you know, even that you know, things have changed. Um, but as far as the amount of people out there on the ski fields, uh, in the, in the powder, it was definitely far less people. Uh, it, it looked like this w last winter, you still had some, uh, events that you were a part of. Is that right? Like a freestyle? Yeah. Event? The, uh, the free ride, um, tour, the free ride world tour. Um, so for five years, we put that on this year, it wasn't an international tour, it was uh, more qualifier uh, tours here in Japan. So in Hakuba and in Arai Ski Resort, um, we put on uh, those. Uh, it's our team really that um, does all of the mountain operations and the safety uh, operations. Um, and that's, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge uh, amount of resources 
um, huge amount of uh, skill and, and knowledge uh, and experience that goes into running those and and a lot of pressure of course um, this year for the qualifier four uh, off the back of Hapo uh, we thought that we might get a, a weather window right on the first day and it didn't happen and and then we were scrambling uh, we were up there every day with the guides and it didn't happen until the very last day we were able to run it in safety in good in in half decent weather but we knew that the clouds are going to be coming in in the afternoon so we had to get it done in the morning and uh we got it done and uh and it, it uh it was great it was it was uh, everyone had a, a an amazing time uh it was just a, a long fairly stressful week to get it to get it all together yeah well it's, it's great to see that you were able to do some of those big events because most events around the country were canceled but it seems like around the world being, <laughs> being yeah around the world but being outdoors in the mountains seems like the perfect place yeah, it is and, and all the con all the competitors and and all of the uh the staff we went through two weeks of self-testing every day and we had to report online um and uh, and then during the contest uh checking every day and then for two weeks after the contest checking um so if anyone actually came up with with uh with covid at any time that the whole everyone that was you know associated with it would be contacted so um you know there's all those precautions now that are that are being done you know, it's the same thing on the camps you know we 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 do um health checks every morning uh when they when the kids get up and and every night before they go to bed um and uh and we do certain things like gargling and and uh, and all sorts of different stuff to to try and help out as much as we can uh, during these times. But within this time, I I believe that it's 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 worth, especially for the children, um, taking a little bit of that risk, but doing everything we can to mitigate that risk, um, so that they can live somewhat normal lives. Um, to just think that we can sh shut our kids up for for two years and think that they're just going to come out of that you know like nothing ever happened um i don't think is is uh is actual you know is, is yeah. you know is, is going to be is going to be real so i think getting the children out there doing things last year we didn't have any issues you know knock on wood um we had a whole um we had a whole a uh, year of, of running within COVID now a year and a bit. Um, and, you know, we haven't had any in, incidents in, in Evergreen. I think that's, you know, that's a little bit of luck and that's, that's a lot of uh, precaution. Um, and uh, we've done, we've done everything we can to reduce that just even within our own staff and, and staff housing, staff meals, um, how we were providing those, how we had people sitting just, you know, around, you know, all, all the, you know, just the, the hand sanitizer and cleaning and, and the extra cleaning that you do. Um, so there's a lot of extra work that needs to be done. Uh, of course, and everyone knows that um, now we've been living with it for a year. Um, so it's, it's nothing new. And, and hopefully now that people also know that, then when we ask, you know, the, the, the children to do certain things for certain reasons, they've already into that that uh, pattern of doing things so i really hope that um and feel uh, that we can do these camps again uh with relative uh safety and and come out on the end and, and just have really really happy campers with great experiences of camp and and uh 
gives them a, a you know a newborn passion uh, again to to get out and be social and and do things away from their devices and uh, away from screens and and with their friends and peers uh, in the outdoors. So really really excited about doing more of these camps this summer. Yeah, I hope so. And it's so nice to catch up with you um, after a year. And I'm so glad that you've been able to hang in there. I know it's really tough. I hope you can continue uh, to keep you and your staff busy enough with domestic customers and really enjoy that amazing place where you guys are and enjoy the less crowded uh, mountainous areas for yourself and I think tourism and you know people will come back sometime from next year hopefully and uh, hopefully domestic tourists can come and enjoy it this year yeah well definitely um, you know uh, if you do have the chance uh, anyone that's out there listening or, or have friends or know anyone that uh, are you know interested to get out of the of the grind and and into the mountains and uh or the rivers or lakes this summer uh, i have a whole crew of friends that come up from nagoya every year uh and go camping at uh, at aokiko which is a beautiful lake and uh, they spend their time out supping and canoeing and swimming in the lake and doing barbecues on the side of the lake and they pretty much raise their kids there um over the summers uh for the last you know 15 years pretty much and uh it's uh, great to uh to see them back every year and and uh yeah it's uh it's a great chance to get out of the city and if you are coming up definitely give us a call and uh if you're interested in in sending your kids up or you want to come up with them uh and put them into day camp and and uh then do some activities yourself or relax or join one of the yoga workshops in town or or those types of things go for some walks enjoy the cafes in the area i mean hacker was a beautiful area that uh just in itself as a community um to to explore so definitely people uh looking for something to do for for a week or or even a month i know we had some people that just came up last year and didn't go back they're still here <laughs> um, and uh, i love that flexibility i'm very jealous <laughs> well i think some people that are working uh remotely have just decided well why am i in tokyo if you, yeah exactly computer, why am I if not you have an internet connection you could be anywhere right well, people tell people have been telling, yeah, I got faster internet than in Tokyo or London, so why not be in Aqaba? So, um, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, yeah. What's the website address? Just end it on if people want to reach out. Sure, it's evergreen-hakuba.com. That's awesome, and I'll I'll put the links below as well. Thank you so much again, Dave, and keep up the good work, and please don't give up. Uh, it'll be hopefully, fingers crossed, worth it in the end and things will start looking up in the next few months, I hope. But uh, It'll all be yeah. worth the smiles on the, uh, the summer campers' faces when they're out there having a good time. Trust me, it'll be awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you everybody for joining today and tomorrow morning, I'll be talking to Pablo on HAPS early morning and have a little chat with him that'll be fun i think that's from 7 30 uh japan time i'm not sure about uh california time yet and then 9 a.m i'll be talking with ruth ice Eisling. she is traveling in a van all over japan from <laughs> okinawa all the way up to hokkaido with her boyfriend and they are having an amazing adventure so we're going to talk lots of van life adventures tomorrow 
9 a.m. Japan time. So please join us then. Thank you so much, Dave. Everybody take care. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, Coffee, or Haps. Have a great day.